0: likely story
1: hey what's up blazer fans welcome to the blazers edge podcast i am tara bowen biggs joined as always by blazers outsider danny morang danny
0: please send help
1: (laughs) well we do have help and help is in the form of mr dave deckard managing editor for blazers edge thanks for joining us today dave
2: Come on, Dan! Get down on the floor and give me twenty more. There's only four overtime. Oh. You can you can analyze. <laughs> you that, can do it on. with one hand behind give me 20 his salient back.
0: Points. This yeah, is this exactly. is true. I, I I am completely and totally exhausted and wiped out. But like, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for anything.
1: Well, yeah, you know my my son this morning was um really concerned about like how the. Blazers were able to, he was like, so he was so tired at the end of the game. He was like, he just wanted to go to sleep. He didn't want to go home. He just wanted to like, he was at the game. He was like, I just wanted to lay down in my seat and and go to sleep. And he was really worried about the players. And I was like, well the players at least slept in and had naps and they're just a whole different con- completely different kind of tired <laughs> than we are right you know, now well, did,
2: didn't you hear CJ McCollum's post game last night they have interview or sorry interviews they have uh, massages and chefs and <laughs> you know pedicures and manicures and Panda bears waving (laughs) palms at them, and
0: so they're all right. Uh, I'm going straight for the IV bags. Yeah, well, like I I did that in the military, so I assume these guys probably have that same access. (laughs)
2: Denver, this is a problem, though. We talked about this in in my pregame analysis that by the time Game Six rolls around, assuming it does, they will have played 13 playoff games in 27 nights, basically one every other night, straight. Yeah. So, I mean, this quadruple overtime, I think, does work in Portland's favor, especially since Denver's superstar is not known exactly for his endurance. I mean, I know he doesn't floor it and, and get the speedometer to 100, but putting miles on him
0: is not a great idea right now. Yeah, let's be honest real quick as far as the, the minutes that were exerted last night in the game. Not all minutes are created equally. Uh, Damian Lillard's, you know, 55, 58 minutes. Uh, I think we're a bit more uh, taxing as far as the amount of effort expended than Jokic's 65 minutes. And I'm not saying that because, you know, Jokic is lazy or out of shape or this, that, and the other. He's a monster. He's seven foot, 300 pounds. But I don't know about you guys, but he was little to really any kind of effective past halfway through the fourth quarter because he was gassed.
2: Yeah. And he's the bigger frame. It's harder to, to run around. But you yeah. could see his his vision tunneling in. The big one was, I forget, it was the end of the third overtime, I believe. They all blurred together. Where he had the ball at the top of the three-point arc, and time was running down. And Blazer defender fell. Was that Harkless and Arminu on the sideline? Yeah. And, and Jokic had a teammate wide open for the three-point shot. And instead of passing it, which he'd do in his sleep, uh, under normal circumstances, he heaved up kind of a semi fade away over a defender's hand and it missed badly. And you could just see the fatigue eat away at his ability to process and his ability to
0: move. And again, this isn't a shot at Jokic. The, the canter had a layup fall two feet short. Dane oh, had sorry. a layup, fell a foot short. Those guys were running on absolute fumes, but I think the narrative is a little bit weird, a little bit goofy when you look at just the minutes played. Like, don't get me wrong. Jokic stayed out there. He played like a consecutive like 40 minutes or something insane like that. But they weren't the most effective of minutes, particularly in the late portion of the game.
1: Well, I, since we didn't get to hear Dave talk about his reaction to the great, uh, game five shot, Dave, I would love to hear your reaction to just what happened last night in the Blazers 140 to 137 quadruple overtime victory. What was going through your head as you were watching this game? And you can start at any point, first quarter or the third overtime. <laughs> Well let's start before that if you
2: miss my impressions you can find them on blazersedge.com i often publish there and uh, also uh, last night's game was nearly impossible to analyze first you had to enjoy it if you're if you're not if you didn't enjoy that if you didn't ride the roller coaster i feel sorry for you and not just uh, on the basis of being a blazers fan just the twists and turns and denver would get ahead and get an advantage, I believe it was in three or four overtimes, that they actually led in the final minute. And then it was fascinating to watch them, either because of fatigue and lack of motion, or I think more likely because of their youth and inexperience. Once they got ahead, they tightened up, and they tried to run their plays uh, more in an isolation, more in a typical NBA style, where your superstar makes plays for you. And that's not their game. I mean, they do have one, but he's a multi-purpose. Jokic passes. Jokic shoots. Jokic goes high, and he goes low. Almost none of that happened. Everybody tried to turn into Damian Lillard. It just didn't work for them. It made Portland's defense easy. So that was absolutely uh, one fascinating aspect of it. Another one was how stubborn the Blazers were in valuing their possessions. And that that was true no matter who was handling the ball. You usually from Portland get some possessions that are well-crafted and somewhere, for instance, the guards are just taking flyers. In this case, even when the guards were going into ISO, everybody was moving around them. Everybody was going for the rebounds. When the guards themselves got the rebounds, I mean, the, the ultimate play was CJ McCollum in the fourth overtime. Time running down, misses a shot, gets the rebound instead of going right back up, tosses it out to Rodney Hood, who has the open three and hits it. It's like the Blazers were playing in sync sync together. And really, I think all of that comes down to the Blazers played like an experienced team. The Nuggets played like a team that was good, maybe even better than the Blazers, but hadn't been there before. And Portland knew how to win.
1: Right on. Now, Dan, I want to ask you the same question about what your reaction was to uh, the game just last night, but put it in context of the other two games, because I frankly can't remember the first two games. (laughs) So, you know, how was it to you, in your opinion, um, you know, in relation to what what they had already played?
0: So we we had Brendan vote on when Adam Mares is obviously a friend of the show, a friend of mine. He's they're they're in town. I've been talking to those guys, kind of coming into this game off of a one-one you know series, and and this was an important game for both teams for Portland to protect home court and to kind of hold that that you know that grasp on it, and for Denver they could wrestle it away. And the longer that game went, I mean, it got to the point where uh, I I looked at at. Uh, Joe and Shane, my co-host, and I, I said the winner of this game is going to win this series, and it wasn't because of you know what it what this game meant as far as like game three. It was how much emotionally and mentally and physically was being sunk into this game. Like in the, in the context of the series, I think everything else just kind of falls away because this is it's such a uh, such an investment in the in this game that. I don't think you can rebound from it. Now, granted, if Denver comes out and wins game four, I mean, it it kind of falls to the wayside, but I just don't think it can actually manifest. I think unless you're a team with the strongest mental fortitude, like you've been there, you're battle-tested, or you've got a leader that just truly believes and can carry you through it. I was going to say that if if Portland lost, because there were numerous times, as as we've talked about, in, in that game where the, the Duggets had the lead. And I at that point, I'm like, if, if Portland drops this game, this is going to mean everything for Denver because the narrative can, can become that Denver's has found a way to win no matter what, too. And I think that's important to kind of look at as far as when you're talking about, like, perspective and um, the playoff experience and that that whole process. It's, I don't know, I, it, that game, and we were, we were talking about it off-air, Tara – the 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 thing that, that was kind of funny or crazy as far as like the wild ride part of it is um, we on the, in the studio, we were trying to capture like our reaction to what would be the game winning shot for either side and just to have something to kind of capture remember and fall Instagram. back to. <laughs> yeah, well, no, for, for the show. And the problem was there were so many moments in fourth <laughs> quarter in the first OT, the second OT, the third OT, the fourth OT. <laughs> Like I I lit- I legitimately have like 25 like 15 to 30 second videos where the the emotion the, the the roller coaster the wild ride of that game like that's just for us. Imagine how that mm-hmm. must feel for those guys and to, to be in that position mentally and then to feel it physically. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I can't remember the last time I saw five NBA players, you know, blatantly, horribly, disgustingly missed layups by feet. (laughs) Well, I'm going to disagree with Dan a little bit, though. I think there is
2: a serious danger of the drama of this game outweighing the significance of this game to the series, meaning the Blazers only won by three points. It was great three points, but it was only three, and it took four overtimes to get there. That's how thin the margin was. And the drama of it appears to weigh, way towards Portland. But Denver is quite capable of coming out and winning this next game by 15 points. Not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying it wouldn't take much for it to happen. It's possible that Denver could have won game three. So I think the Blazers have to be a little careful not to presume that they just won the series because they didn't even if the atmosphere and the media and the fans feel like they did. And this is where the veteran thing is tested. Veterans would understand that you got two more games left to win. And uh, the the old Blazers, the young Blazers would say, yep, we did the thing we were here to do. And guess what? You haven't yet.
1: I agree. I think that this, uh, b- I agree with the narrative that, you know, this team needs to uh, keep pushing forward because in my opinion, the people who won the game were just the people who were up when the buzzer rang. I mean, both teams were so good and wanted it so bad and Portland planned it best and they were able to, you know, like uh, seasoned guys on the battlefield, I guess they were able to plan it and make sure that it worked. Um, but also there was a lot of luck on their side on both sides, you know, that even kept the whole thing going for so long. Um, but the thing I think about this team that sets them apart from the Blazers from other years is that they are aware of that. Like for the most part, this whole season, it seems like they haven't taken much for granted. And as the uh, playoffs have gone on, it seems like they are getting really good at making sure that they, like you said, are valuing every moment and valuing every possession. Um, I want to move on and find out from you guys, who do you think, uh, who do you think deserved the game ball for last night's game? Dan, you want to go start? Sure, I'll,
0: I'll go first because everybody's going to not see this one coming. <laughs> Mo Harkless.
1: Oh, really?
0: For a guy who rolled his ankle so significantly, his ankle touched the floor while his foot remained on the ground. Um, yeah, to gut it out like that and to be that effective, um, he struggled from the field as far as going one of five from three. But the one three he did hit, was massive. Defensively, he was phenomenal. Yeah, Jamal Murray had 34 points, but guess what, folks? It took 32 shots to get there, and a lot of that was heartless. I mean, he was everywhere, getting back, blowing up pick and rolls, uh, rebounding incredibly tough, had a couple blocks, had a couple steals, got in the passing lanes, converted free throws, and this is all on the heels or all in the back of a lot of people, including myself questioning Harkless's toughness throughout a lot of his career where the, the smallest of nagging injuries seem to keep him out of the lineup at times. And now when I think everybody's like willing to cut him a little bit of slack, like, okay, I just saw his ankle turn into a J um, you, you can go ahead and, and take this night off. If you need it, he guts it out. And not only does he play, Gives you productive play on both ends. That, I mean, you don't win without.
1: Right on. I mean, I've been, you know, a big believer in Mo Harkless for this whole second half of the season. So I'm glad, uh, glad to see that you are um, seeing it as well. He did. He gutted it out. I mean, he he showed up absolutely. We've talked about noticing when Mo is on the floor. And um, I noticed that Mo was on the floor and he did that thing where he took his headband on, off halfway through again. I don't know if that's like a good luck thing now for him because he did that in game five as well. But even, so without, throw it. but even without the headband, I noticed that he was on the floor. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you you feel him. And I, I guarantee the Denver
0: Nuggets feel him right now. Like, yeah. He's taking on the task of picking up Jokic on a switch, picking up Millsap. Um chasing Jamal Murray around the floor, Gary Harris around the floor. Like he is, he is invested and plugged into this game. And not only was he effective last night for a guy who rolled the living hell out of his ankle, he was, he was good. Like he could have been a guy who played 30 minutes, but didn't, it was kind of the old Moharkless and he kind of, he could have kind of wrote it off as yeah, I've got a bum wheel, but he didn't. And that's, I think that kind of speaks to the change that we've seen in him over the last couple of weeks.
1: How about you, Dave, who would you give the game ball to?
0: Well,
2: you could pick almost anyone for the Blazers, but I'm going to go with Jokic. He scored 33. He had 18 rebounds and 14 assists. And in two ways, he determined the outcome of this game. First, he kept the Nuggets in it. And then eventually he kind of took the Nuggets out of it. And he was never awful. But as he went, so went the game and so went their play and they've started on pretty sure footing and then eventually lost it. So I, you know, I get it should be a blazer should be CJ McCollum, but I want to, since I'm only going to have one shot at this with you guys, probably about this whole series, I'm going to say that Jokic remains the player around whom all attention and the fate of this series revolves. And if he can be the best version of himself, the Blazers don't have a real good answer for him. And it's only because that uh, his gravity ended up less or pointing in a different direction that that door was open for them to edge out a three-point win.
1: So I see what you did there, being all clever, (laughs) jumping in with Jokic. Um, I did want to know about on the Blazers, who do you think would be the... um, the game by and dan do you have anything to uh you know add to what dave said about jokic i mean cause the thing is is i i agree that jokic is you know he was he's a fantastic player he's wonderful to watch and he is the person around which everything revolves on denver like i don't disagree about that at all no. um it's but- not
2: just in denver though it's this series he's the one thing that the blazers have to have an answer for and yeah. it's he's the one thing He's the one player their defense bends around. They will literally take shots from anyone else that aren't layups rather than
0: let him free. I mean, that that's that's I mean, that's about as spot on as you can get because uh game two, kind of going back here a little bit, um, the Blazers defense showing from the short corner and doubling with CJ McCollum to give him a different look and leaving Gary Harris, who's a phenomenal player corner three-point shooter, over and over and over again, had me about ready to tear what little hair I have left out. And it proved out to you know, over the long haul to work out. They, they just couldn't hit shots, and they're willing to, to bet the house, basically, on the Nuggets not being consistent shooters, not stepping up in the moment. And, I mean, if it's not the same entirely, but it, it's kind of what the Pelicans did to the Blazers last year. Listen, you—you've got other guys. We don't care about them. Guess and, who yeah. called that strategy before the series started? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they—they've they, got great shooters. Torrey Craig's a forty percent three-point shooter. Gary Harris is a forty-point three-point shooter. Jamal Harris or Jamal Murray is a thirty-seven percent three-point shooter. Like they have got a stable of guys, but under the bright lights and with the pressure on, they just haven't been able to deliver it yet.
1: Let me go back to what Dave said about uh, initially before he talked about Jokic. And you said that you could just about any player on the Blazer team. And I think that is super significant because we've been talking all season and even longer than all season Get Dame some help. Have it be somebody besides Dame and CJ who are scoring the games. And we thought we had it with Nurkic, and that was exciting. But one of the things that I think is so exciting that we have seen about in these playoffs is other guys have been stepping up. I mean, CJ McCollum is one of them. Last night, 41 points, eight rebounds. Sure, it took him like 900 minutes to get them. But he, but he looked like he could go a whole nother game. And something about like conditioning with CJ, adds like, I th- we've all known that CJ can, you know, he runs more than anybody else in the NBA. But I don't think mm-hmm. I fully appreciated that his conditioning and uh, how extraordinary it really is. It was if pretty funny
0: gonna- in the press conference where he said, "I'm I'm six foot three, 189 pounds, and I can run for days." I I just thought that was kind of funny because he's you know he's listed at like 210.
2: Yeah. And it's it's professional wrestling weights. Anyway, uh, if you're CJ, the destroyer, if you're going if you're going to pick up a trailblazer, I think it's got to be CJ, because not just for the volume of points, but the absolute coolness with which he scored it. I mean, coolness like uh, cool hand Luke, Mm -hmm. uh, Steve McQueen coolness, Mm -hmm. not awesomeness uh, that it, it wasn't it was it was no thing to him. He, he had the opportunity because they weren't going to let Dame shoot. He took it. He put everybody in the washing machine into the spin cycle and hit shot after shot after shot after shot. If he misses one of those, this is a whole different game. And uh, he was absolutely fantastic in a much different way than Lillard does, but absolutely
0: as deadly and effective. The, the thing about CJ, we're, we're quick there, I, I think that, is going to get lost in this night because his night was so big on the box score was how big it could have been from a highlight standpoint. And this is a very tiny point, but how many times did he absolutely brutally break somebody off that like the entire crowd went full and one, Oh baby, Oh baby. Like it was, it was nuts for him to only miss the shot. (laughs) It was like, no, you can't cook somebody that bad and not hit the shot. But that yeah, was like only drawback. Yeah, but when it counted, he drawback. didn't miss. Yeah, he no, didn't no. miss
2: when it counted. It, and 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 think you're astute there. How many how many open shots did he get? Was he standing on the weak side getting catch-and-shoot three-pointers? He was nope. not. He was defended, and he absolutely lost people yeah. and got enough separation to put the shot up in CJ fashion, which is not enough separation for most other players on this team, but it was for him, and again and again those shots went in.
1: I w- would give one more want to g- talk about one more player, even though, like you said, so many of them, including Rodney Hood with his uh, three point shot that ended up winning the game. Ennis Cantor is just unreal. And <laughs> I don't say that lightly. I try to avoid hyperbole, but I feel like with Ennis Cantor, I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's the perfect fit. I don't know if it's the system and it's just all clicking, but I. I can't believe that this is the Ennis Cantor that the rest of the NBA has been watching for all of these years. This is, this player who is here on um, Portland is absolutely playing through everything. He is just like he's like all heart. I, that's the only way I can think of to describe it. He is all heart. And he's just shown up every game that we just keep thinking, "Oh no, how you know, he he's done." Like he can't How can he keep playing? And I understand that, you know, he has a shoulder injury and that they like if he was unable to play, you know, because it was going to make it worse, they wouldn't let him play or whatever. Um, But I, I just can't I can't wrap my mind around how tough he is and how he just keeps coming back for more and he just keeps putting his head down and taking it and. He would, that first half of the game, granted Jokic got a hold of things uh, in the second half, but that first half of the game, Cantor was driving Jokic nuts. Uh, and he was having a really hard time trying to figure out how to break free and get his points on him. So I think if I was going to give it out, I would give it to Cantor. Does anybody have any problem with that reasoning? I
0: don't, I don't have any problem with it. I. I uh, the thing is about this This playoff run and we were talking about it beforehand is this is the most obscenely ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life in sports, Just the whole thing in uh, general, d- just the whole thing in general, like a four overtime. game. Okay. I, <laughs> let's, let's rewind this. If I went back in time to the day before Yusuf Nurkic broke his leg and I told either one of you, the events that were going to transpire with a hundred percent certainty there is not a chance in hell that neither one of you would laugh at me, scold me, run me out of the room and just tell me you need to make up a better story than that because it's not believable. We do that anyway. Exactly. Like it's, it's insane. What has transpired from the time that that nerd broke his leg. Well, and and I support
2: what you said, Tara, 100% that he is playing at another level and putting in more effort and more targeted effort than we've yet seen at the same time. Uh, His assignments in the playoffs have been pretty clear. And the help he's gotten, and I think this is a key, because in both series, but especially in this one, the Blazers have been willing to commit other defenders to help at the center position which takes the burden off of him slightly, although he still has to stand in and he's still giving a great effort. It's not all on him. They don't mm-hmm. rise or fall with his defensive ability. And that's made all the difference in the world. It also explains why you don't haven't seen this from him before, because you just can't do that on a nightly basis for 82 games, nor would most teams care to. Uh, but
0: for Portland, it's working. Right. Right. The, the other guy here that I think that is clearly the guy right now outside of the superstars is hood after being non-existent in the first series to come out and be the level of confidence he has displayed in every single game. Like we haven't like even when he has good games in Portland and over since his acquisition, we have not seen this. He has got a, a literal bounce in his step as he checked in last night. He's, I mean, I, I, I don't know if he, he realized how ridiculous it, it was when, when it stood out. Like he's when jumping he up in. and down. Yeah, he's skipping and bouncing around like the Energizer bunny. And I bet you everybody in the court is like, what a jerk. Don't you think that was a little bit of
2: intimidation? Ultimate yes, warrior style or something? Absolutely. Like literally, he's like, he's like coming in and saying, oh, you're tired? Guess what? Here I come. And, you know, the opponent goes, oh, crap. Well, first they go, yeah, that's BS. But you know what? It wasn't. And he had a step on them and he could elevate and they couldn't anymore. And he knew it. And
0: he might as well have been out there shooting around the world with himself. (laughs) And that's how it's kind of been this whole series for him. He he's had the mismatch. He's had uh, Murray or Harris or any of the other smaller uh, guards and wings um, Monty Morris, try to pick him up. And guess what? He, he He's going old school. He's going barbecue chicken and, and taking him into the post, beating him up or hitting him with a jab step, blowing by him for Duncan. And then the, over the series so far, knocking down, stepping into shots confidently and hitting massive, massive momentum, game swinging and game winning threes, which I mean, hell yes, but <laughs> It was not their last series to to be this wildly
1: different is crazy. Another part of that story that you would say we would be like, no, we don't believe that. Yes. <laughs> it's it, like everything that has happened, yeah. like
0: it's it's to the point of storybook endings. And I have literally thrown away any and all doubts or, or misbeliefs or anything about this team right now. Like I, I, I had Joe talking to me at the end of the game uh, or at the end of the show last night talking about how if they win this series, I could see them getting a game from the Warriors. I could see them stealing two games from the Warriors. And then he started talking more and more about, well, maybe, maybe this is a team of destiny. Maybe this is like wh- that one team that happens every hundred years. Like this does, this kind of thing doesn't happen in basketball. You can get this in the NFL in a one game scenario. You can get this in the Olympics and the miracle on ice. You don't get these, these series wins. In the NBA, because inevitably, even though even if with all the good karma and the basketball gods at your side, it still needs to go, you know, to four games.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You still have a seven I, game series to play. Yeah.
0: I I get it. But Kevin Durant's
2: going to take your destiny and put Tabasco on it. it oh, yeah. Us. OK. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's I don't want to talk about Kevin problem.
1: Durant right now. <laughs> yeah. We're in doing case,
2: awesome. <laughs> here, here's a question, though, off the board, though. If the Blazers end up losing game four, and go on to lose the series, let's say, in seven. Was this playoff run still a success, or better put, how much of a success was it?
0: It was a great success. Still significant, because literally the second Nurkic broke his leg, and Derek can attest to this, I wrote this off. This, this season had an asterisk, and anything they got out of it was gravy. Right, but you didn't think they could win one series?
1: Uh Not without Nurkic, I, I, I mean... yeah. I, went, I wanted to believe them and encourage them to try as hard as they could, but without Nurkic running the ball through, you know, without, like, that was a major component of their offense that made them so successful the whole second half of the season. And then it was just poof, gone. And then it's oh, like, sure. oh, great, it's just going to be CJ and Dame against everybody. But that's not what happened. What happened was is the whole team stepped up and did everything that they were supposed to do.
2: Sure. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think I would not have picked them to beat Oklahoma City, especially after Nurkic went down. The the numbers, the aggregate numbers looked a little better than 0-4 against OKC going into the series. But head-to-head, the Blazers had gotten shredded. I don't think there was a big reason to pick them over OKC. But Denver, I thought they had a chance against. The Clippers, maybe they they could have probably beat them as well. You know, so I thought there were openings to... Win a series, maybe even get to the conference finals if the road was right. I didn't think th- I didn't think they could make it past the conference finals unless they drew Houston. I
1: underestimated. You know- Go ahead. I was say I underestimated them. I'll just flat out say it. I underestimated them.
2: Yeah, I think I think everybody would have. I think everybody can lay claim to that. It, I think it's still a success. Obviously, uh, I think. That there might, there's still a gray area though, and we could talk about it after the season. But what does this mean going forward if they don't make it past the second round? Obviously, they played more promising, but they have decisions to make. And I don't think those decisions are clear as clear as they would have been if the Blazers have been able to go all the way or give the Warriors a really good run in the conference finals or if they had simply lost in the first round so right now I'm hoping actually that they really really succeed and then that will make the path forward and the decisions probably a little bit easier
1: I don't know, I'll say what I've said all season and that is all of these decisions are hard they're always hard <laughs> I mean the the Nothing easy ever happens, and that's what makes it exciting, and that's what builds the tension that makes it so thrilling and makes us hang on and wonder what's going to happen. It's always hard. The easy thing is never going to happen. If you want the easy thing to happen, go be a fan of Golden State because and you don't have to think about anything. You just have to hang on for the ride and, oh, maybe they lose a game here. Maybe you lose a game there. But with the Blazers, maybe it's always Maybe they lose Kevin Durant. With the Blazers, it's always hard. <laughs> Well, and here's the
2: thing, you can talk about this later. We won't address this here, but before this series, let's let's pretend that one of their reserve guards would take the taxpayers' mid level if the Blazers would pay it, either Curry or Hood. Before this series, that money was probably on Curry. Now what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, it's like it it all it all gets more complicated as they go on, unless and until they really excel. And uh, the history of the Blazers is they will excel just enough to make you think twice right. and then leave you there. That, that would be amazing if this were just the most
1: spectacular example of that possible. It's always, always hard. And I, I think that's what makes it exciting. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to... Uh, pivot for just a minute um, to talk about another person who's a huge fan of Ennis Cantor and the Portland Trailblazers. Um, Senator Ron Wyden was in town to watch the Trailblazers on Friday night, and uh, he's recently come out in support of Ennis Cantor. And, um, you know, Ennis Cantor has uh, been embroiled in some uh, just pretty nasty stuff with uh, the Turkish government right now. And so somebody from um, the US government has uh, come out in support of Cantor and that is Senator Wyden. Uh, So he called in and I had a nice, uh, pretty short conversation with him, not just about Cantor, but about basketball, because it turns out he is a huge basketball fan. I don't know if you guys knew it, but he's been a huge fan of the NBA. He actually wanted to be an NBA player when he was growing up. And uh, he grew up to be six foot four. And he said um, he uh, just never quite got the speed <laughs> that he was hoping for to become a an NBA player. Um, but anyway, I had a conversation with him, so I think we should go ahead and play that, and then we'll come back and talk about where the Blazers go from here and how they can finish out this seven-game series. Welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast, Senator. Thank you for having me, Ted. Well, I hear that you're a lifelong basketball fan, so could you start off by telling us how you got started loving basketball and what it is that really attracted you to the game?
3: What I was all about coming up was this dream of playing in in the NBA. And really pretty much from sixth grade through my, I guess, sophomore year in in college, i said this is what I really want to do. This is my first love. And basically I just live ball morning, noon and night. I got a college scholarship, Cal Santa Barbara towards the end of my freshman year. Reality began to kind of sink in. And I said, I'm not sure I can make it in the league because I'm too small. It's six, four and I'm making up for it by being really slow. So it's just, it's necessarily going to happen. So I finally started studying, and then I transferred to Stanford. And, uh, you know, now um, my wife and I are older parents. We have small children, and we just uh, are always having a family horse and going to games. Just It's just something that I think kind of embodies, not only is it my roots, but, you know, when I got out of, out of law school and the Blazers were coming on in the 70s, and Larry Weinberg had the club, and I was very close uh, to him. Um, all those experiences came, came together, and I also um, adored my high school coach. So, I mean, these are kind of the things you really remember.
1: I'm, I'm wondering, are there things that you learned when you were playing in, uh, you know, in high school or in college or even as a youth that you still carry with you today? I think probably
3: more than anything, the difference in life is whether you really come to play. Some people have such extraordinary gifts that they really don't have to throw themselves into it to succeed. But for the most part, for people with sort of modest, you know, talents, I put myself in that, uh, in that arena. I mean, it's all about whether you just really want to focus and, you know, lock in and come to play. And one of my colleagues in the Senate uh, once said, "said I don't agree with Ron on everything. but I'll tell you, he always comes to play. And uh, I said, he just made
1: my day. That's very cool. Well, I hear that there are um, you know, pickup games in, among congress members and, and their staff and sometimes there's even charity games. Have you ever participated in any of those?
3: I I
1: don't play much in the actual games, but
3: among other among other things, I hold the House of Representatives free free throw shooting record. I scored oh. 47 out of 50. And I wasn't even a particularly great pre-throw shooter in school. I was in the 70s, but, you know, nothing like Dame or anything like that. And uh, they had this kind of proctored contest when I was in the house. The gym attendant who did it, my son walked with me. He said, Dad, let's do this. And uh, I said, no, what the hell. Um, Missed the first one, ran off about 15, 20 in a row. Missed another one, ran off, you know, another big uh, Big set, you know, fifteen something like that. One more, forty-seven out of fifty, and uh, you know, I now live in fear that somebody's going to get me in another free throw shooting contest, and I'll get a bunch of bricks, and they'll take the award away from the first.
1: <laughs> How long have you hold, held that uh, championship? How long ago was that? Well, it's been it's it's been a while.
3: I mean, it's like you know, I don't know, 15, 18 years, something like that.
1: That is very impressive. I mean, obviously, you are somebody who is clutch. Well, my, Good to know. <laughs> my,
3: my 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 wife. My wife said when uh, she heard that I made forty seven out of fifty. She said, "You know, dear, every once in a while, a blind squirrel finds an acorn."
1: <laughs> I don't know. Forty seven out of fifty. That's a lot of data. I think. I think you can successfully I, brag I, about I, that. I think. It's
3: I, totally, i I'd never do. I'd never do it again. It was one of those rare kind of moments and you just savor them
1: yeah just end on a high note right there well on That's a on idea. a on a more serious topic um so ennis Cantor joined the team after the all-star break he's been awesome as a basketball fit and for the short time that he's been here he's really um worked hard to become a part of this community but he is facing some serious issues in his um, home country of Turkey. I recently you wrote a letter in support of him. Can you explain a little bit about what was in that letter and what you were um, hoping will come as a result?
3: Well, first first of all, this remarkable, courageous young man has really captured the hearts and minds of the, of Rip City. I uh, I got uh, stuck in D.C. Last, uh, last night, all the bad weather and everything, and I went to bed... Uh, for about 12:15 uh, Friday Friday morning in Oregon 315 uh, back back east and uh, even as I got off the plane people were asking me about Ennis Cantor and you know how it was going and what happens if we play you no know, Toronto in the N- NBA Finals and uh, I think it's just remarkable what what he's done to kind of be the face of the club and, and look Erdogan's a bully Erdogan's threatening them in in Rip City when people try to bully uh, bully us around uh, you know we push push back and so among the Senate Intelligence Committee I wrote a letter to the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and I said we need the Trump administration to um, to, to stand up you're always talking about you know human rights and uh, and you know, taking on these dictators and so uh, I made it clear even this morning when people were asking that if we Get our dream and uh, and uh, the Blazers are in the in the finals since they were uh, uh, dealing with Toronto said so I'm going to make sure that I am doing everything I possibly can so Oregon's guy in the Senate Intelligence Committee to make sure that ends canter can uh, travel there and play there
1: it's really amazing how um it's really I mean basketball brings people together but it also expands our world at the same time and you know until Cantor came here like I'd I'd followed a little bit about you know what had been going on with him and with Turkey I mean I watched him when he did the live stream when he was stuck in the airport in Europe last year um, but you know just when people whether or not he's you know here after this year or if he's just here for a little while you know he's made an impact um, by being in the Community. He's an incredibly appealing
3: guy. My wife and I are our older parents. My 11 year old son William. Uh, William Peter White went with me when uh, Ennis and I got together in uh, in March. And uh, what was really um, you know exciting about us, First thing William looks at him and goes, "Daddy, he's like really tall. You're <laughs> taller than everybody else, but he's way taller than than you." I said, "William, yeah, I'm six foot four, and you know Anna's almost seven seven feet." I said, William, what I wanted you to do was to meet this wonderful young man who's being so courageous and speaking out for the right kinds of values and making sure everybody gets treat- treated fairly. And maybe someday you'll, uh, you'll say you met him and uh, you grew up a little bit uh, like
1: him. Yeah. And so young, too. I mean, I, I don't know what you were doing when you were 26 years old. Probably something much more important than I was doing. But still, like so many of these uh, basketball players who stand up for something, we were, you know, remember, they were, they were very young when they start speaking up. It's very impressive. Just really impressive.
3: It, it is. And this and, and Cantor, his work transcends basketball. In other words, he is the kind of person when he talks about his father being harassed, the sacrifices his family makes, so that Ennis can have these opportunities to play in, in the NBA. You just say to yourself, as I said to my son, this is somebody who's really a role model.
1: For sure. Well, we have just a couple minutes left. You want to talk some hoops?
3: Yeah, let's definitely talk some hoops. So
1: how have you enjoyed this season? Do you have any highlights for uh, for the Blazers?
3: Well, this this season's highlight, of course, you know, games uh, with the Thunder. I mean, everybody just looks at that, and just the idea that he's out there at thirty-seven, you know, feet, and he's going to take uh, he's going to take the title and walks off by waving on him. It was, it was something really to to remember. But there are lots of great moments. I mean, you talk about Ennis. I mean, the fact that he's you know, out there with this incredibly painful uh, shoulder injury and standing up to a um, CJ, I mean, the fact is a lot of people don't uh, really recognize him nationwide, but what an incredible player he is. Made a lot of big shots against Denver in, in game, game two. And uh, and the Chiefs, you know, Alfred Aminu. You know, I always uh, joke that my favorite uh, rendition of Hail to the Chiefs is when Aminu hit the three.
1: Oh, I love that! I don't know if you know this, but yeah, uh, Chief is one of my absolute all-time favorite basketball players. <laughs> love it when people get to bring him up. I think I may
3: have may have heard
1: that. I mean, you know, <laughs> these are
3: these are really good, you know, people too. I I think you know, and you know, we had a few few years when you know what went on off the court wasn't right? exactly something you. Know, um, incredibly proud of, but these guys are just great. And, um, all of them really kind of tried to reach out, um, uh, you know, Terry, Terry Stotts, um, he stopped by when I got together with, uh, with Cantor and, uh, with Emerson, uh in March. I mean, he's a coach who deserves a lot more recognition nationally. Hopefully he'll, uh, he'll get it. Uh, but you can just go all the way, uh, up and down the, the team and, uh, And of course, uh, you know, Dame, you know, Dame's a city. Dame's a city now. I mean, he really represents our values and uh, and on and and off the court makes his brain.
1: So last question, what do you think the Blazers are going to have to do to make it to the next round? Well, I think think a couple
3: of things. I mean, you know, the fact that we won the second game, I thought was huge because, you know, if you you go down two in, uh, in the playoffs, that always you know, it, it's a challenge. Um, sometimes I think when you, um, come out one, one, one and you're home and you know, it's going to be a Friday night crowd, you're almost too amped up. And so mm-hmm. I think, uh, our, our guys are going to be very fired up, but it, it just, it just feels so positive. This year they play well together. They complement each other. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, if we just keep, uh, keep building, um, uh, uh on what we've uh, already accomplished, they've overcome a lot. No question. If they're being injured, everybody under normal circumstances says, "Oh, that's it." You know, we don't have a way to be in the paint against uh, against Denver. But uh, um, there we are, competing, and just the fact that he was at game um, at game five against Oklahoma City, everybody loved that too. So we've overcome
1: a lot. Mm-hmm.
3: Didn't didn't get here by osmosis, but that.
1: Uh, Right on. They, yeah, they did. They worked. They've been working so hard. They've been building this chemistry for years, and uh, we're really seeing, I think, the results of it. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time uh, to join me. And it sounds like you've been cheering for the Blazers real loud. So (laughs) losing your voice from all that cheering, right? (laughs) Been cheering for some of the
3: great moments. You know, Larry Weinberg um, sent me to talk to Soviet Sports Federation. About our as the bonus, it uh, reminded me of the Rocky movie, you know, when uh, when you you had everybody from the Soviet Sports Federation, you know, talking, and uh, you wondered if you're going to have some kind of foreign policy, you know, cult calamity. And uh, I've just I've just enjoyed um, being uh, somebody who could say that you know, our our trailblazers and and Rip, Rip City is uh, is really the Oregon way.
1: Right on. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's been awesome. Let's 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 do it let's do it again soon. Let's just keep yeah. our fingers crossed and
3: our hopes that we're gonna be playing well into June.
1: Okay, well, that was awesome. I had no idea that Oregon's senator um, held the record for most free throws uh, from his time in the House of Representatives. That was impressive. Uh, (laughs) Clearly, he has been doing a lot of talking lately because his voice was very, very hoarse and uh, he's been making the rounds. But I really appreciate that he uh, took the opportunity to spend some time talking directly to Blazer fans on the podcast. You guys want to add anything? I, I mean, I, I think he kind of covered it all, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's look ahead now to uh, how the Blazers might finish out the rest of this series. Do we have any latest word on Cantor's health? Because I know at the end of the game, he was talking about he was unclear whether or not he was going to be able to play. Have you guys heard anything lately? Uh, I
0: have not. Um, I've been kind of out for the morning, but I haven't seen any updates. I don't think they ended up having practice today. I think they just had a film (laughs) set. I think they just had a film session and treatment. So
2: for the playoffs, honestly, for the playoffs, they're going to try to keep that kind of thing under wraps as long as possible because they don't want to tip off the opponent uh, and or create a weak spot. Now, obviously it's already known. You can see Jokic going at him. And by the way, that's playoff basketball. I mean, I, I'm sorry I don't like it. It would really suck to be the guy with the injury. But if you're out there playing with an injury, you can expect that your opponent is going to exploit it 100% in professional sports because nobody's going to remember that 10 decades from now. All they're going to remember is if you won.
0: Exactly. We talked about this in the OKC series. What What did I say over and over about Paul George, Tara? Yeah.
1: You said if, he's gonna, right. if he's
0: going to be out on the floor, you have to test it. You have to run him into as many screens as possible and all that kind of stuff. Like – but the, the, that, that clip, that's circulating of, of Jokic throwing his arm. I don't have a problem with it from like a clean or dirty perspective. The only thing I have a problem with is whether or not they're going to call a foul or not. Mm-hmm. The, the inconsistency in how they've kind of called the big men um, in two of the three games has been one of those things that makes you scratch your head. Uh, and it, I, I'm harder on the refs than probably anybody. Um, the flip side of this is I thought from basically the fourth quarter on throughout the rest of the game. It was an incredibly well officiated game, and they just kind of let the players handle it, and nothing really crossed the line of um, egregious, uh, other than a couple, you know, travel calls. I mean, if you look at the last two minute report that came out, it actually is a last twenty two yeah, minute I report. <laughs> uh, I went through every one of the calls, and the and the staggering majority are correct non calls, and the other ones. Uh, I think a few more went against Portland than went against Denver as far as the incorrect call. But almost all of those were travel calls, so they weren't like physical contact type calls. Um, and in that case, like, cool, I, I-, I can get behind that. I, I just I just want to see the the big man, as uh, Stephen Adams likes to call him. Uh, I just want to see him officiated to the point of basically where unless they're tearing each other's arms off, don't call a foul.
1: What do you guys think they're going to be looking at at those film sessions? Do you think – how much time do you think they're going to spend on uh, Damian Lillard having um, Will Barton come up from behind him and block shots? (laughs) I never want to see that again, ever.
2: (sighs) Well, you know, Barton had fresh legs, though. I mean, he was another guy. And, by the way, he made a lot of mistakes early. He scored over them late. But Barton has not really been a positive in this series until the last couple – Overtime, So I think the Blazers will live with Will Barton and how he's playing. I think, if anything, uh, they probably need to adjust. And and again, this is their game plan, to let people loose on the perimeter if it means keeping Jokic out of there. But at this point, they're kind of doing neither. So I think they need to adjust a little bit how and where they double from. And in addition to just when the double team comes, when to get out of it and get back. And where's your man? Because that's the part, if any part of the defense is falling apart, that's it. You make the initial play, but then you're stuck in no man's land and Jokic either scores over you or the pass is so easy and the shot so wide open that you're just dodging bullets all night long.
1: Dan, what would you add for film I, study uh, time?
0: Realistically? Yeah. I I think the, the plan is sound. Um, I, I like the aggressiveness that has been there for the last couple games, um, I would like to see when they do double or if they are going to bring that double when Jokic is in the post. Um, I would like to see it basically anybody other than CJ McCollum being the guy, because I, realistically, and this isn't a, a, a shot at CJ, CJ's six, three, 189 pounds. How big is Jokic? Bigger, like, yeah, much bigger, slightly bigger. So <laughs> that, that help and coming from the, the, the corner, how effective is it really? And, and what's, what's the net value of C.J. helping? Like if C.J.'s helping off of Gary Harris in the corner, who a guy who historically has been very, very good from that spot, do we think that over the long haul that that's not going to you know, play out in, in Portland's favor? So I, I'd like to see like mostly just slight adjustments. The, the, I think the game plan itself is very sound. I think the execution for the most part has been very good. Uh, I, I like that Portland's still being aggressive in the passing lanes. I mean, the, they're they're getting more steals in games right now than I've, than I've ever I think I've ever seen this iteration on the team. They had what thirteen last night. And Dave hit on this a little bit as far as ball security. This that four overtime game was dumb on one particular point. Thirteen turnovers for the Blazers.
1: Yeah, how thirteen
0: did, turnovers when you're that tired. How That's come insane. all of a
1: sudden they figured it out? Because <laughs> like, what, what have you noticed anything different, or is it just that yes. that attention? What do you, what no. do you notice is different?
0: I mean, if you're watching the broadcast last night, you know exactly how many times per game Jokic is just touching the ball, right? Um, they, the ESPN couldn't shut the hell up about it. But the other thing was the amount of time that he has the ball is one of the fewest. Let's like less than ten seconds per possession. Meanwhile, Dame and CJ are holding the ball significantly longer, seven, eight, nine seconds. Well, when the ball's in Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum's hands, your, your two best ball handlers, playmakers, creators, whose hands is it not in? It's not in Aminu's, it's not in Harkless's, it's not in Collins. Guys who have got a little bit of case of butterfingers at times. And that, I think, takes away from the opportunity cost of those turnovers. Now that doesn't make Damon CJ immune to those. We've seen, we saw Damon in in game one with some boneheaded, atrocious, just try to split the defense loft lollipop passes over the coverage, that kind of stuff. But I, I think when you look at those guys, when they're holding the ball and this is kind of that, you know, which side of the knife do you live on? Um, things are going to be better in the long run, even if it does limit some of the effectiveness of the other guys, because you're, you're taking such prized care of those possessions. Well, it's not just, though, Dan, let me
2: interrupt here, that it's not just that the other players aren't touching it. When they were touching it in game one, they were holding it. And there was a Mm -hmm. lot of indecision. They were passing up open shots, thinking, should I shoot this? They were then dribbling or passing into coverage. And that was a disaster. Right now, when Aminu or Harkless or even Zach Collins touched the ball, uh, Myers-Leonard too, Jake Lehman, when he was in for 10 seconds in game two, that they're either shooting it right away or passing it quickly and that decision-making process, I think is what improved even more than their physical ability or the defense and uh credit to them for doing it credit for the coaching staff who I assume gives them the confidence to say, look, we're not going to yell at you. If you shoot the shot and miss it, we're going to yell at you. If you, if you hold it mm-hmm. and uh, it results in a turnover because you had an open look that you didn't take because you weren't sure,
0: then you can't stay on the court. The perfect example of that I think is, is Collins who, Clearly, I've been hard on in the past. He in that game offensively, every single three that he took, I was like, yes, hell yes. That is the right play. Take that shot. Get your feet set. And let it fly. <laughs> I had a couple people around me like, but you, you don't usually cheer him on. I'm like, it's in the flow. He's taking he's taking the shot he needs to take. Alfred Camino. I, I've talked to a few people in the past, you know, 12, 18 hours who say, what was chief doing out there on the floor? Blah, 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 blah. He was two for nine. Yeah. But you know what? in the course of those overtime games or overtime periods chief was taking the shots he needed to take on those kickout threes. They were good looks. Did he knock them down? No, but you have to like the nuggets when we, when the blazers double team, you have to kick it out to the guys who are your shooters and expect them to deliver. Those are just the things that you when you look at the end of the game, yeah the superstars are going to get there that's what the playoffs are all about but it's it's about everything on the margins and when you can tighten those things up and you're you're executing the way that you need to execute then i can live with that win loss or otherwise
1: so i just had a thought and i'm curious what you guys think about it it's like for game 3 the blazers removed the high risk high reward plays and decided to go with like the low risk medium reward plays You know what I mean? Like you don't, Mm -hmm. you know, like you've talked about the bounce passes through all of the, you know, the whole season. Like we're seeing very few of those, but we're seeing the the tried and true scoring that might not, you know, get as, uh, you know, high of a big splashy, um, might not run up the score as fast, but it's slow and steady as opposed to like high, you know, like I said, high risk, high reward.
0: The, the variance plays are not there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and the part of that, though,
1: is that like with, those,
2: <laughs> with those variance plays, people get out of position because even your teammates don't quite see them coming. Mm-hmm. When the shots were within the flow of the offense, look where everybody is. Now the Blazers are in position to match the Nuggets on offensive rebounds, for instance, which, by the way, they did. Right. Then weren't they like 24 a piece or something like that in this in in game three. So that, that became a weapon for Portland as well. Uh, also, uh, they're able to get back and everybody knows you can time it. It's a rhythm and the passing lanes and the passing opportunities are clearer and evident to everyone. So then people can move. So when you take the randomness out of it, even if it's spectacular randomness, you do get that sense of everybody playing better together as a unit.
0: We do have slightly breaking news. The injury report has been sent out from Blazers PR. Guess who's not listed on it? Cantor. Cantor is not listed.
1: All righty. There's a surprise. (laughs) He's he's not even listed as questionable. Nope. I'm surprised about that.
2: I think this is like a wrestling promo thing at this point. Cantor gives, gives the interview and says, Oh, yeah, it's really hurt. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Brock Lesnar is a huge opponent. I have no idea. And then he'd go out there and Hurricane Rana all over the place.
1: Right. He's got himself, you know, all the pictures of himself getting treatment and everything. Yeah, well, guys, I think we should wrap it up there. Um, you know, thanks to all of our listeners who have, um, you know, been uh, supporting us through this whole uh, um, this whole playoff run by consistently. You can call listening. it an ordeal. Well, we keep putting out content because stuff keeps happening, you know, for, for so long, we've been so steady with our regular, you know, schedule, but there's just so much happening. We just have to keep talking about it. So, um, we're going to keep talking about it as long as stuff is happening. And thanks for the list to the listeners for, uh, always listening. It's, it's great to know that people are out there and want to know, um, you know, want to hear what's going on. Uh, you guys want to go ahead and tell folks how they can find you just in case they don't already know.
0: Go ahead, Gran Poobah.
2: Well, there's a little website called BlazersEdge.com. You can often find me writing there, uh, at Dave Deckard on Twitter, or e- email me, Blazersub at gmail.com. That's been true forever and ever and ever. I'm always pretty accessible. Uh, depends, I get a lot of emails, so if I can't answer personally, uh, forgive me, but if you send in a question, we'll try to use it in the mailbag. If you got something interesting to say uh, that you want us to think about, let me know, and uh, we'll talk to you then.
0: All right. As always, folks, you can find me on Blazers Outsiders before and after every game. Uh, we'll have the immediate post-game coverage for NBC Sports Northwest since the uh, network coverage is all national now. So thanks to everybody who's been joining us. Yes, we've seen a lot more people watching the show with uh, the playoffs and how crazy things have been. It's been an awesome experience. Um, we do have some stuff planned as we kind of progress through this series. And if they make it to the Western Conference Finals, uh, we've got some cool stuff possibly in the works. Uh, but as always, you can find me on social media and at Edge at DMerang, at D M A R A N G. Slide in the DMs, send questions, comments, concerns, anything. Uh, I'm always available in that sense. And Terry, go ahead and take us out of here.
1: You can find me at TCB Biggs on Twitter. You can also find the Hoops and Talks podcast at Hoops and Talks. We did release one uh, today that is has nothing to do with this current playoff series. So if people is, are listening for looking for a little content to just kind of like take your minds off of all of the um, activity that has been going on with the Blazers right now, it's a really fun look at one woman's quest to find her childhood hero, who happens to be Bryant Reeves of the Vancouver Grizzlies. It's super charming and. Shut up, big country. Y'all should check it out because it's really fun. Thank you so much again to the listeners. Find us on Blazer's Edge. Subscribe to the Blazer's Edge podcast feed and we will talk to you soon.